0: Hello and welcome to Show & Tell, the podcast series from the RPG Academy, where we bring on a guest and we talk about something cool. Today's guest is Monty Cook, and today's Something Cool is their current Kickstarter for Invisible Sun, a brand new RPG by Monty Cook Games. Monty, welcome to our show.
1: Thank you. It's great to be here.
0: And for the two people who might not know who you are, can you give us just a brief rundown of of who you are and what you do?
1: Sure. Uh, So I have worked... Uh, in the tabletop game industry for uh, almost 30 years now. Uh, I've worked on a lot of different projects, a lot of different games. I'm probably best known still today for D&D 3rd Edition, one of the co-designers on that. Um, I used to have my own uh, D20 company uh, back in the D20 days, and I called it the Hover Press. And now today I have, uh, I'm co-owner of a company called Monty Cook Games, we put out games like Numenera and The Strange, Cypher System, and now Invisible Sun.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you very much for that. And I would like to throw in, although these are vastly different spectrums, no thank you, Evil. All right, Because that's what I spoke to Sean about. I have two young kids of five and a six-year-old, and I've been a lifelong D&D fan, RPG fan. And I struggled with how to get them into gaming because I didn't want it to be something that if I did it wrong, they would not enjoy it. And that would kind of, you know, almost poison the experience. And uh, I decided to try it with No Thank You Evil, and it has worked fabulously. So thank you very much for that.
1: Cool, cool. Yeah, we are extremely happy with how uh, No Thank You Evil came out. Um, We're very honored. We just, uh, Gen Con a couple weeks ago, uh, won the Gold Emmy for Best Family game with that game, and uh, we're thrilled.
0: And you should be. But today we're here to talk about completely opposite side of of the spectrum here, a very sort of adult, mature game called Invisible Sun. So what is the sort of broad strokes pitch for Invisible Sun for someone who may not know about it?
1: Sure. Um, So Invisible Sun is a game of surrealistic fantasy. Uh, It's a game where basically the player characters learn that the world that we see around us is just a shadow of what is actually the real world, which uh, in the world of Invisible Sun is called the actuality and so the game takes place in the actuality which is sort of the world beyond our world and this is a world where magic exists in abundance things are are kind of wild and imaginative if you just sort of imagine you know everything is stranger all the colors are brighter it's just it's it's just a far more interesting place to live than than our real world and uh in that world uh player characters Basically, their main goal, um, although, you know, obviously, this is a a gross generalization, but their main goal is to uncover secrets and find maybe even the secrets of reality itself.
0: Okay. Um, So at my age, one of the things that that makes me think of is Matrix, Mm -hmm. is that you have this world that people think that is the real world, but there's clearly another world beyond. Now, with Invisible Sun, is it in some ways like Matrix where that you're dealing with people who still don't know about the actuality, or is that sort of like once you're, you've figured it out, the game takes place in the actuality.
1: It's the latter. Um, So unlike the matrix, it is, it, it all takes place in the actuality. I, I mean, in theory, you can go back into Shadow, um, but that's not the main gist of the game. That would be like a side thing.
0: Okay. Again, I just didn't know if that was part of the game is the moving between the worlds or or just more like it's an awakening. And once you've realized it, you're now in this new world.
1: You know, there are a lot of really great role-playing games that kind of seize on that. Um, you know, there's, there's Mage. Uh, there's a game called Cult uh, uh, invisible, uh, uh unknown armies. Sorry. <laughs> um, and, and so I kind of felt like that was covered and covered really well. I love all those games. And so I wanted to do something different. And so this, this takes place almost a hundred percent in the surreal
0: world. Now, um, I definitely want to talk about the Kickstarter. Uh, as of today, it's been going on for just, again, I think maybe three or four days at this point.
1: Uh, let's see, today is Thursday and it started Monday. So four days, not quite four days.
0: And again, you guys have already funded. So this is going to happen. There's still plenty of time for people to get on board. Mm -hmm. I'm going to try to turn this episode around very quickly. So it should be up within a week, if not less. So when you hear this, there will still be probably three weeks left. But I want to talk about the Kickstarter as an event, Mm -hmm. uh, because you mentioned that one of the things about Invisible Sun, one of the main things is uncovering secrets and, right. you know, it's been four days, but but people have already started to piece together that your Kickstarter itself isn't for the game. It's part of the game. There are secrets hidden inside the Kickstarter. Have any been revealed that you could sort of let us in on so you're not ruining anything, but give people an idea of what sort of things they could encounter in the Kickstarter?
1: Sure, sure. Um, I, I like the way you put that, actually, that the Kickstarter is actually a part of the game. Uh, but I want to address that a little bit first. You know, so to be really clear, uh, you know, Invisible Sun is a game that you can sit down and play with your friends like a traditional role-playing game. And if you don't want to sort of get involved in the the meta level with the secrets and everything, you don't have to. But it's there because we wanted to reinforce the whole idea of secrets and 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 kind of focus on the on helping people into the immersion of it all. So, for example there are eight web pages that are linked off of the kickstarter uh, that each give you more information about like shipping and the contents and whatnot Uh, and on each one of those pages there is a clock and some people have discovered that uh, if you look closely at all of those eight or rather nine different clocks it might reveal a code when put all together and we have a, a web page that I linked to off of one of the updates that if you put that code in, then you get a brand new page that tells you even more about the setting and has kind of some more intriguing things and whatnot. So, um, you know, it's just, it's it's an interesting way for us to engage with people and kind of show them uh, the kind of feel, the, the, the flavor that we're sort of going for, um, you know, I mean, Obviously, your player characters aren't going to be, you know, searching around on websites, probably. um, But, you know, it's that kind of, you know, seeking the hidden mysteries that kind of underpin the universe uh, that they're going to be doing.
0: And for me, I think that is very, very cool. I'm not good at puzzles. I will have no shot at ever, ever uncovering them, but I love them. It's kind of like, kind of like, like I'm watching a, a good magician. Right. I don't really want to know how they do it. I just enjoy <laughs> seeing it. And so I will enjoy seeing other people solve these puzzles and, and kind of learning what they mean once they're revealed.
1: Well, I got to give a shout out to the, uh, there's a, a group on Google plus right now. They're very, very active and these guys are delving into all the <laughs> hidden things that we've put in. And, and you know, I mean, going down some some paths that we didn't even sort of set up. But but that's part of the fun, too.
0: Right. But but again, that makes you just like the GM of a regular role playing game is that you throw something out and your players will just go crazy and you'll go, you know, that's actually kind of better than what we were thinking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it is it
1: is kind of that same feeling. Um I, I have not any ever done anything like this particular thing before, um, which is part of why I'm doing it. I, I I I constantly like to do new things. But it the feeling of it and watching people kind of put together the pieces and and um, uh you know that, that clock puzzle, for example, was solved just last night by somebody and I saw them post about it. And it it was exactly the same feeling as when you're the game master and your players figure out, you know, the, who's the real bad guy in the scenario or whatever the thing is in the game. Right. And you, I don't know, it's a wonderful moment. It's, It's actually one of my favorite RPG moments that exists is that moment when the player or a couple of players just suddenly go, Oh, right! And they finally get the thing, whatever the thing is. That moment of realization—I love that. I love being a part of that. I love, you know, getting people there. That's 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 a lot of fun.
0: And then usually it lasts for about two seconds before another player goes, "No, you're wrong," and then (laughs) derails the conversation for another half hour. (laughs) That does happen. Yes, (laughs) yes.
1: Or you know, the the sudden realization is like, "Oh!" and then suddenly. Oh, right. Because you realize the <laughs> secondary implication is, you know, there's a trash behind the door or whatever. Right?
0: Exactly. We figured it out. What we know now is terrible. We, we <laughs> don't want to know this. Right. Excellent. All right. So while we're on the Kickstarter, I want to talk a little bit more about that specifically. And kind of the elephant in the room are the pledge levels. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I've been told that even the, the 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 numerical value of certain pledge levels and your overall goal also maybe related to the puzzle but there is also some i don't want to say backlash but there's been some talk about the high level this is a almost like a luxury item uh the entry point is $197 which is high compared to a lot of other games true sure. i would counter that i've spent more than that on other role playing games i just usually spread that out you know between multiple core books and a screen and cards and dice but it's it's sometimes it's harder to pull the trigger on that you know, one ninety seven versus thirty now, thirty then, that kind of thing. So, sure. so what would you say to someone who's like, you know, I like what you do, I love your other games, but this is a little high for me.
1: Right. Well, so um, first and foremost, uh, you know, it if it you know isn't within your budget, um, uh, then um, you know there then then don't please, you know please don't stretch yourself you know in places you shouldn't go or whatever, right. Uh, but here is kind of my feeling about this, this game and this particular Kickstarter and Kickstarter really in general. Like the very spirit of Kickstarter, if I can wax philosophical for a minute, right? Is, Absolutely. Is the, is the idea that you know, a creator has an idea, right? And, and they put it together and they, they put it in front of the world. And they kind of say, Is, does anybody want this? Does anybody want me to make this? And I think that it behooves the creator to be true to the vision, right? If you've got an idea, like 10 years ago, because I've been doing this a long time, right? 10 years ago, if a creator had a great idea, if a game creator had a great idea, the first thing you would have to do is think about you know, the components and the, and the size and everything and how can we make it sort of as small and as cheap and as inexpensive as possible because that's what the market will bear. But with Kickstarter, you can actually put something together that is new and big and, and, and you know, yeah, kind of audacious, right? And see, is anybody interested in this? And if they're not, right, then you've actually, you've learned something and you didn't, you know, spend $200,000 putting this thing together that then no one wants, right? So uh, Kickstarter is a a real boon in that way. And so, you know, we, you know, I had this idea and I want, you know, there's a lot of things going into this idea, but I wanted to make a game that was an experience. I wanted to have a game that was a lot of levels that had, you know, that feeling that you get when you open up, you know, like, you know, one of those great fantasy flight games or, you know, one of those board games that has all the cards and the pieces and everything. But I wanted that, I wanted to have that experience, but with a role-playing game, right? We have that with board games and, and miniatures games and whatnot but I wanted to have that sort of magical experience with a board or with a role-playing game. And I wanted to, you know, make it so that, you know, like, like you, all the stuff you were saying with the cards and the screens and the, all those things that, that we often end up getting anyway. I wanted to make it so that in this game, those pieces, those things aren't just sort of extraneous extras, but they are a part of the game, right? In the same way that, you know, the the little houses and the shoe and the, and the thimble are all a part of Monopoly, right? right. Uh, you know, to kind of use a, a, a silly example. Um, and so that was the design goal that I put in front of myself and to make that kind of game. And then the goal for the Kickstarter is to see if it's of any interest to anyone. And fortunately, it looks like at least to uh, a fair number of people it is.
0: Absolutely. I mean, I think that there it's kind of a common saying that people want Creators to innovate until they do. You know, <laughs> yeah. you, you try to do something different, and some people wanted you to do the thing that you've done before.
1: It, there, there is truth to that. And that's, that, is, that is kind of truth across the board when it comes to any kind of creation. You know, at Gen Con, I was talking to a friend of mine from back when I used to work at TSR, and now she's a, a full time novelist. You know, she has written this wonderful and well-received series of books with the same characters, kind of doing stuff. And now she is uh, doing a brand new novel that isn't a part of that series. And she's and she talked about what a risk that is, right? And it seems funny because you know we like you know we expect our creators to be you know doing new stuff, but she talked about you know how how doing that new book you know, was a was such a risk and would her fans sort of let her do that. And I think that, you know, I don't know, I think that we need we need to let our, our creators create. We need to and that's why Kickstarter is so fantastic. It's why as soon as I was able to, right, I I grabbed hold of Kickstarter with both hands and uh, you know, kind of haven't let go because I think that that crowdfunding is really the the magic key that, that gets us to that point where creators really can do imaginative stuff. I mean, none of the things that Monty Good Games has done, starting with Numenera back in 2012, none of the things that we've done would have been possible without Kickstarter, right? All of these things would have been just too expensive, too audacious, too outside the box to even try,
0: right? So uh, wrapping back around to the Kickstarter for a couple more uh, sort of questions that came up, uh, and I'm kind of jumping around a little bit, and I apologize, but uh, okay. there was uh, part of the Kickstarter information, again, part of the puzzle, where there were some coordinates given, uh, like geocaches, mm-hmm. and I think at this point all of them, or, or most of them have been found, but some people have asked, are there going to be All of any them that of we've
1: told people about have been found.
0: Perfect. All the ones that people know about have been <laughs> found. Uh, but there's been some questions about any of these outside of the United States. Are there any other countries that might have hidden caches that we don't know about yet?
1: Uh, that could very well be. Yes,
0: <laughs> I will take that answer as a sh- maybe. all right um so then getting back again again i'm sorry i I missed that question but wrapping around back to the kickstarter is it once the kickstarter is over will there be a way for someone to get the components piecemeal over time like would that be an option that next year i might be able to get some of the stuff and then a few weeks later get some more of the stuff is that an, an option
1: you know i uh i'm a i'm a never say never kind of person but uh i'll be really really frank with you i have no idea we have not OK. Made the, you know, we up until Monday, right? Or I, I actually, we didn't fund until Tuesday. So up until Tuesday, we didn't know for sure that we'd even be making this game. So plans beyond the Kickstarter are still very hazy.
0: OK. Now, again, that's, that's a, a fair, fair answer at this point. So now kind of getting back into the design process, because a lot of the questions that people asked me to talk to you about were in regards to that. OK. Obviously, software system. Is, is a great system. People have really fallen in love with it. It's, it's growing every convention I'm a part of. I'm online with a lot of different people who love, you know, Cypher system and Numenera. So it's kind of a two part question is, is one, you know, why not make this just a setting and use the Cypher system rules, but kind of my, my avenue of that is what was it about the idea that was like, no, this needs to be its own thing.
1: Okay. Really for me, those two questions are the same question. Okay.
0: Um,
1: and it what it, here's I mean, uh, so first of all, let me just say, let me just preface everything that I'm saying that uh, you know, just because I'm coming out with a new game does not mean that I'm casting aside all the other. I mean, we are going to continue to support the cipher system and Numenera. I mean, right now. Uh, we would be absolute fools to not support Numenera because there's so much going on with Numenera, not just from us, but there's the Torment video game coming out. There's uh, uh, a card slash board game coming out called The Ninth World um, from Lone Shark Games. Uh, there's a short film uh, based on Numenera called Strand. it you know, Numenera is 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 still definitely sort of the core of our company, with the strange and the cipher system also adding to that. And 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 you know, we're going to continue to support them. We love those games. And so, you know, in my original conception of Numenera, uh, which which is where the cipher system came from, even as I was writing Numenera, I kept thinking, you know, I could use this system for superheroes and and i could use the system for space opera and and have a great time with it and and eventually did those things um, but uh when it came to invisible sun i realized really early on that that vision that i had for this experience that we're trying to sell with this box and all the components and everything that that goes into this game and the secrets and everything. I realized really early on that that a whole new system had to be developed in order to really embrace that idea. And, and what I also really wanted was a system that was so married to the setting that I couldn't take it out and use it in a superhero game or a space opera game or whatever, right? It was be different from that. So, like, in the game mechanics of Invisible Sun, there is this clear distinction right right, in the way you roll the dice of whether you're using magic or whether you aren't. And that uh, yeah. that effect, I think, is very powerful, and it says a lot about the setting right there. So, I mean, literally every time you're picking up the dice to do something, you're thinking about is there magic involved in this or not. And that I think is the kind of thing where the mechanics start to feed into the setting, and and that marriage really occurs. And so that's that's why I designed it the way I did. I, I will add that, you know, I mean, I you know, I developed the cipher system with a very distinct sort of approach to marrying story and characters with the game system and really with a focus on that kind of stuff and so people who like the cipher system will see those same threads in invisible sun for example um as we just revealed in a a kind of a the first of many rules related updates for the kickstarter last night When you create an Invisible Sun character, just like in the Cypher system, you uh, are creating a sentence that describes your character, right? So in Numenera, you're a blank blank who blanks, right? You are a a strong glaive who masters weaponry. In Invisible Sun, you also are creating a sentence. It's a different sentence. Um, It's a you are a blank blank of the order of blank who blanks. Um, and so, uh, there are, you know, there's, so there's more blanks first of all, and they're different and they do different things, but it's that same spirit, right? The idea that in the cypher system, the GM doesn't roll dice, um, so that he can focus on, you know, the story and, and is isn't sort of bogged down with a lot of rules. That's the same in his invisible son. Um, so oh, there's a lot of those kind of sensibilities that I think, I think are some of the key components of the Cipher System that make it, you know, special. That make are the reasons why people like it. I think also exist in Invisible Sun.
0: So you mentioned obviously you're going to continue to support Numenera, Cipher System, Invisible Sun is a kind of a new new product that's coming into the family. So with that, you know, I think recently uh, Watsi announced that they joined with Roll Twenty and you can now Mm -hmm. get official uh, Dungeons & Dragons content on Roll20, as well as Fantasy Grounds. Do you guys have plans in place to do that with Cypher System, Numenera, and or Invisible Sun, where certain virtual tabletops or all of them can get official content?
1: Um, You know, that's more a question for our uh, COO, Charles Ryan. But um, I believe the way it's set up now, we do have uh, a pretty strong relationship with Roll20, and uh, we do have... Uh, I don't. I, I don't think it's necessarily original content, but but we do have our content linked with them, and and I know that a lot of people use Roll Twenty for Numenera and the Strange.
0: Again, I apologize. I'm trying to read the questions that we're saying. I'm jumping around a lot, but so with Kickstarter, that's one of the things that, as you kind of alluded to earlier, it was sort of designed. The inception is that I have an idea for a thing. Will you help me make that a thing? Right. But especially in RPGs and board games right now, it seems like a lot of times people are using Kickstarter essentially as a as a pre-sale. Like, I've already made a game. It exists. Do you want to buy it? Is Invisible Sun done? Could you sell it to someone today, or is it something you're still working on?
1: Oh, it's definitely something I'm still working on. Um, so uh, the game doesn't actually even come out until late next year uh and playtesting i mean out, outside of sort of our immediate circle of of uh people at mcg playtesting probably won't start until the fall um there's a lot of work that still needs to be in it uh put into it and uh there's a lot of writing you know uh, with something like the kind of products that we produce uh, like this is true of Numenera and true of the strange, uh, it's true of invisible sun. You know, there's a lot of game design that goes into it, but you know, you take a look at the 416 page Numenera hardcover and only about 32 pages of that are rules and the whole, all the rest of it are, you know, setting and uh, adventures and creatures and items and those kinds of things. And so even once you get to the point, like, uh, well specifically even once I, when I get to the point where I am really comfortable with the rules of invisible Sun I'm sure that everything all works the way I want it to or whatever there's still all the setting material that needs to be written you know a lot of that just sort of exists in in notebooks I have <laughs> I have all these all these little notebooks and uh, they're filled with notes uh, that's all got to be fleshed out and written so that people can understand it and there's still a lot of work to be
0: done. That is completely fair. I was just curious Uh, because some of the other questions kind of rolled into that as far as, you know, how long did it take to create and what was the biggest hurdle? But since the game isn't actually completed, you may not know that yet, Mm -hmm. but can you touch on, you know, what, what is so far has been the biggest hurdle or what you anticipate? And then how, how many man hours and how long do you think it will take to complete?
1: Oh, wow. Probably uh, uh, way too many man
0: hours. Um. (laughs) Because you're a small company, people may not r- realize that with some of your success. But you have what, like five full time employees, and then they're... there are eight of us
1: actually. But that's still pretty small um, compared to to some companies. And I mean, and then and eight that's eight people doing that's everything we do. You know, that's that's everything. That's not just on like the game design side. That's uh, you know, that's our customer service people. That's uh, fulfillment and everything. But uh, when when I started thinking about Monte Cook Games as a company, that was when I started thinking about Invisible Sun. And uh, I would say about two years ago is when I really started putting things down on paper and and kicking ideas around. But you know, I mean, you can just look at the output that we have had in those last two years. And you can see that my main focus has been on, you know, the cipher system and, you know, Numenera uh, and Numenera character options too, which just went after the printer and, you know, all these things. Um, uh, So it's only been the last, maybe four or five months that I would say Invisible Sun has kind of been my full focus Maybe a little, maybe six months, and and I would I'm gonna guess that that will be true at least up until the middle of next year, and then um, there will be some ancillary stuff. Uh, we have this thing called the directed campaign uh, that is part of the Kickstarter. Um, uh, there a lot of work will have to go into that. That may take another I don't know six months or so. Um, and then you know we have we've got stretch goals we've the the next one as as we're talking now anyway the next one uh, that's coming up is a whole other book whole other hardcover book more more spells and items and whatnot called book M and you know if that if we reach that goal then you know that will be more you know it, it could be another couple years of of invisible sun work. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Better you than me, I guess. <laughs> at least you have experience with that, uh, confidence that you will get there. So one of the big sort of selling points on Invisible Sun, and I've, I've tried to do my research as best I can to look at the videos, is you talk about how, you know, the realities of life today. It's hard to get groups together consistently. Players miss games you know, and they can't make it to certain sessions, but they still want to be part of the group. And you know, I think DMs as a whole, we've we've started to kind of create our own ways that this can happen. Sometimes you handle, sure. handle it in game; the player gets called away by an NPC, and they're gone. And sometimes it's just like, well, they're there, but as long as everyone lives, they live. Right. But you've talked about how this is is going to be part of the game. You're going to work in specific avenues to deal with that and and sort of in I don't want to say enhance it, but, but bake it into the system. Can you talk a little bit more about what you foresee and what you think? Will this will be like when it's done?
1: Sure. Um, so uh, we handled that kind of thing in a lot of different ways. Um, so like, uh, you know, you're, you're getting together on Friday night and uh, Friday afternoon somebody calls and says, I just can't make it, right? That happens to all of us. What do you do? Um, and like you said, everyone kind of comes up with a, a thing. Uh, it's baked right into the setting of invisible sun that player characters who were once a part of shadow like we were talking about that earlier right the 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 false world sometimes get drawn back into it right the pull of that the com- the compelling nature of of this sort of deception that is the real world is so compelling that it draws you back in and so you know, if if Bruce can't make it on Friday night, then Bruce's character gets pulled back into shadow. And if Bruce can make it next time we meet, he just appears. And that isn't that isn't a kludge. That isn't a, a you know a hand waving kind of thing. That's a part of the game. But that's just one small thing. Uh, on a much much larger scale, what I've done with the design of this game is I've instituted what I call a whole other mode of play. You know, if you look at uh, the way we play role playing games now, right? We've got an action mode, right? This is this is true of most games. Um, you know, there's an action mode where you're keeping track of rounds. Everyone gets an gets an action, and you know, one at a time. And you know, you're keeping track of durations and things like that. And then there's narrative mode, which is there. You know, you you are traveling, right? You are uh, going and talking to NPCs, right? You're not. You're not really keeping track of round by round. You're not, you know, whatever. It's just, it kind of flows a little bit more naturally and organically. Um, So we're all familiar with those two. But in in Invisible Sun, there's a third mode, which we call development mode. And this is an opportunity for uh, play to exist, to take place away from the game table. And so this is an opportunity, like if... You know, we end a session, and your character uh, wants to go off and uh, spy on this NPC because you suspect this NPC is up to no good, and so you want to, you know, keep keep tabs on him to make sure that you know uh, he doesn't do anything wrong. That would be what we would call a side scene, and it would be something that just your character would take part in. And we can handle that side scene in a lot of ways away from the table. One way would be for, if I'm the game master, for you and I to go off, maybe meet for coffee or something, and play through, you know, literally at the coffee shop with, you know, very little game accoutrements, right? Um, that uh, we, when we play through that, we, we figure out what happens on that side scene, and that all, that all takes place, and so when you come back to the game next week, you can then say to the other players, well, I tailed that guy and here's what he did and here's what happened, right? Um, we could also handle that in, in a different way where uh, you uh, maybe send me an email, right? And and say, here's what my character wants to do and here's what I do and then I as the game master respond back. And in fact, what we're really gonna, the way I really would like to see that happen is we have we're gonna have an app that is a web app that will be usable on, you know, your phone, tablet, computer, whatever. And you put that information into the app and it will be all formatted. And th- that goes to the game master. The game master has uh, a, a sort of a very directed way of, of how to respond to that, um, how to determine whether you succeed or fail. It's all kind of built in. And, and so you can take place that way. And the cool thing about that is that means, you know, you can, you can do that on, totally on your own time right? If you get home from work late one night, but you want to just kind of relax and, you know, think about the game for a little while, you can just take 20 minutes, half an hour, figure all that out, you know, use the app, send a message to the game master, game master, you know, gets back to you on his own time, right? And so that convenience allows us to play the game, even if, it would be very difficult for us to always get together in person, and that's always kind of the big challenge that we're looking at. And you know, and this this can happen in not just one on one. You can have two players do a side scene, right, with interacting with the GM in these different levels. You can even have like a flashback scene where the the side scene actually takes place in the past. Um, but the implications of maybe what you discover or learn the secrets that you uncover in the past then affects what's going on in the main narrative. And, uh, and so there's a lot of really interesting, rich role-playing opportunities, I think, uh, for that kind of thing.
0: So kind of what that makes me think of is I, I'm, I have very little limited experience with play by post games. Mm -hmm. I've had a chance to play in a couple. I, I would like to be more involved, but again, just with time. But when I was researching getting ready to do my first one, one of the things that I noticed is how much role-playing and character development there was in a play-by-post game as compared to an at-the-table game. Because you don't have the spotlight issue where, you know, I really like what you're saying, Sarah, but I got five other people. And, you know, Dave, I, I know you want to go talk to the mayor again, but come on, we got to, get to do this thing. And it sounds like you're kind of combining that in a way that you're giving characters or players, I should say, the time to do some of that character development stuff without affecting the table at the time of the game.
1: That is exactly right. Um and and I think that is so intriguing because because you're exactly right, you know, if I've got a personal goal uh and 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 I think a lot of the things that are going to drive Invisible Sun characters are going to be very personal goals, right? You're going to have, your characters going to have their own story arc and, and you're going to have your own things that you want to accomplish your own things that you want to avoid and and whatever. And, you know, because of that issue um, you, you've heard it as the spotlight issue, which is a great term for it. You, we, we kind of avoid those things in role-playing games, right? Because it's like, well, you know, that's really interesting, but, but everyone's got to have, a turn here. We're all at the table. And so this, this giving an opportunity to do these side scenes really means that, you know, we can really focus on individual characters in a way that it would be very difficult in a, in a regular game. I mean, you know, I can say from a lot of experience that, you know, when you're writing adventures, when you're writing stories for, for RPGs, you've got to always be thinking about the group. What's going to motivate the group? What's the group going to do? And, The freedom to be able to say, what's going to motivate one single character? What's one single character going to do about this? That's really interesting. It's a whole new uh, uh, opening of a door, really.
0: So the two things I want to bring up there, uh, one about the app, just somewhat quickly. um, Does that mean that the app is really only used in those situations? Or is the app also used for normal tabletop gameplay?
1: It, it exists primarily for that uh, developmental mode, but if you wanted to, uh, you could use the app sort of as a reference. And what, here's what I mean by that. So, one of the main components, one of the things that makes Invisible Sun a little bit different, is that there's a deck of cards called the Sooth Deck. And these are, you know, it, analogous to sort of like a tarot like deck in that you know in the setting it would be used to divine the future and whatnot but what it it what it reflects in the game is kind of the ebbs and flows of magic each turn of a card is going to affect magic in a different way and it's really going to help magic seem dangerous and and a little more you know uh, flowing and not quite so mechanical but to resolve actions and whatnot you roll dice and and things and i I kind of already mentioned that a little bit in developmental mode you don't use dice you only use the sooth deck and so the sooth deck obviously in the black cube um is you know is a physical deck of cards they're really cool because they're round and they and they fit onto the the round symbols on the path of suns and you play them in right order but in the app You know, it'll be the kind of thing where you can just touch um, or click on something and you get a card. And then you touch or click on it again, and it tells you sort of all the meanings or effects that that card can have. Because I don't expect anyone to, like, memorize all that stuff. Um, And so the app would be useful at the table because it would have all that information in a really handy way. But for the most part, the app is for the away the t- away from the table stuff.
0: Okay, that makes total sense. And then, kind of getting back to what we were touching on with that that mode of play being similar in some ways to like a play by post game, mm-hmm. I, I've had this sort of realization. Uh, and part of it comes, you know, with our podcast, we do actual play podcasts, um, so mm-hmm. we're we're consciously aware that we have an audience, and it has definitely changed the way we play uh, with that you know awareness in mind but i've kind of realized that when you're playing the game what actually happens and then later when you reflect on the game don't always marry exactly up and you know it's almost like how the story grows upon telling right. you know for example we may have a situation where you know i'm rolling to take out the the main bad guy and i had to you know a charge i moved my six spaces and i would have failed but another player used a power to let me move one more space and i missed but then i used initiative or use you know advantage or whatever but when I right. go back to tell that story, I'm not going to talk about how I move six squares. Right. In charge, I'm going to tell the story about how I, I charged the, the creature and I used the dagger my father gave me. You know, it was uh, you know a holy light from the from the goddess. And I kind of think that that's where that developmental mode will shine. Is that for that individual person? Like no one else may ever even know that you had those conversations. Right. But when they are thinking back on that game, they are going to have a more sort of depth to that seen because of what you did outside the table. And I kind of find that interesting and fascinating on how it would work versus how I think it would work.
1: Well, you know, a lot of it, uh, a lot of the idea actually comes from, uh, experience that I had that's sort of similar to what you're talking about. Uh, a long time ago, I was running a D and D game and, uh, I had a, a new player join the group and she, uh, you know, played for maybe three or four sessions. And I noticed that, you know, she wasn't really, she didn't seem engaged. She wasn't uh, really kind of participating very much, right? And so after about three or four sessions, I uh, I took her aside and I, you know, I just said, look, are, are you not enjoying this? Is there something I can do different? You know, what, you know, um, you know, what's going on? And at that point, she just started talking about her character. And she started talking about how, well, you know, my character really doesn't like this guy. But when this thing happened and so what I realized was, was that there was this rich sort of imaginative life that was going on, but it was all internal, right? She was an introvert. And so uh, a lot of this kind of comes from that idea, very much like what you're talking about, where it's an opportunity to people, for people who maybe wouldn't always normally express the you know uh, their imaginations at the table in front of six other people in the same way that they might you know if they were just talking just one on one to the GM or whether they're you know writing it down or you know there's a lot of different ways to handle this and a lot of different ways to express that but um, I'm I'm very happy that I am I've worked in ways in the game that kind of embrace the different kinds of people that are out there, right? I mean, we all know that there are people out there who are big extroverts and they show up at the table and they're kind of like these, you know, amateur thespians who, you know, kind of sometimes command the spotlight. Um, And that's okay, right? Because that's the way that they want to play. But this allows us to also focus on the people who aren't like that. And that's really interesting to me.
0: No, and I, you know, I think that because I've experienced the same thing. You have, you know, I'll use the term alpha players who mm-hmm. dominate a lot of the playstyle, style. And, and again, I don't think that's necessarily bad. I kind of equate it to like a basketball team. You need your role players. You need your stars. They work concert and it elevates everybody. Mm-hmm. But having an, an avenue specifically for someone who may not want to get up and emote in front of everyone but has an idea for a scene in their head that will really capstone this part of their character's development I think that's a great addition, whether it's baked in like invisible sun or just general advice to anyone listening, do that with right. your players, Absolutely. you know, send email, send text, talk to them on the side, give them that opportunity one way or the other. Agreed. Yeah. Awesome. Um So kind of getting back to the, to the Kickstarter, and I, I kind of think I know the answer, but I'll ask it anyway. Someone mm-hmm. wanted to know about translations to other languages. So is that something that you guys are looking at?
1: Um, You know, we we have for our other games we have a lot of translation done um numenera exists i i want to say in seven different languages now um but uh you know this is one of those things where the game i mean we just announced the game uh a week and a half ago Uh, I, i i think actually uh charles has been approached charles is our coo handles those kind of licensing translation things um I think he had, I think someone actually has already contacted him about translating it. I think, I think that might've been German, but I mean, I don't know. Um, it, it's just, it's too early really to tell, but it's very likely.
0: Excellent. Okay. Now, is that something though, again, with the Kickstarter probably wouldn't be worked out. So you would be looking at, at some way after the Kickstarter, that this would still be available for sale, maybe not piecemeal. Like I was talking about in you know earlier, but someone would be able to buy this game at some point in the future outside of the Kickstarter.
1: Um, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to give a tentative. Yes. Okay.
0: <laughs> and, and, and I'm only saying that because uh, you know,
1: we really just haven't even sort of explored how we're going to have this fit into the normal distribution model and whatnot. But I am, uh, uh in my own head. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes. Right there. This will this will be in game stores and,
0: and whatnot. Um, yeah. OK. All right. Very cool. Uh, that's pretty much wrapped up the questions that I had specifically about the Kickstarter and about the game. But I just want to give like kind of a carte blanche. Do you have anything that we didn't talk about that someone who's eyeing the Kickstarter, you would want them to know to help make a decision on whether they should back this or not?
1: Well, you know, uh, I guess uh, I would probably really stress that what we're trying to do here, what we what we are kickstarting here, um, is really kind of this big experience. Um, it is it is more than just a game. It is more than just a bunch of puzzles. It is it is it is more than any one of those things all by itself. Um, it, this is really my attempt to uh, make this vision that I have happen, which is all of those things kind of integrating and creating one experience that, that is a very immersive experience, because uh, that's my favorite kind of role-playing game experience, is one where I'm, I'm really absorbed into the story, I'm really absorbed into the world, and I'm engaged with it on a number of different levels. Um, you know, this is a game. You know, the, where in the in the box there's going to be you know cool player handouts and props and you know things tactile things for people to use. And uh, you know, I think all of that stuff really, really enhances a game. Um, and so that this is this is my vision for that.
0: Excellent. Well, if you guys go to Kickstarter and search for Invisible Sun, you will find uh, the Kickstarter. Again, my plan is to have this out within a few days. So if you're hearing this within the first couple weeks, it's still going to be there. And then obviously there'll be links in the show notes as well. If you like puzzles and ciphers, then even if you don't back the Kickstarter, maybe you'll have a a fun time going through and looking at everything and trying to uncover some things. Uh, Monty mentioned the Google Plus page. You might be able to join up and kind of join in the group that is actively trying to solve these right now. Uh, so moving a little bit away from Invisible Sun, mm-hmm. sort sort of looking to the future, two-part question, kind of broad questions, but but what do you think is next for Monty Cook and Monty Cook Games? And then just in general, in in the world of RPGs, and I, I think you saw this question on Twitter, like, where do you see development going? What what do you think the innovation is going to be like next few years in role-playing games? Like, right now, I'm seeing a lot of influx of card games. Phoenix Dawn Command, Faith, the sci-fi RPG, and some others use cards Like, where do you think the next development will go?
1: Well, so the next thing for Monteco Games that that we're very excited about is uh, this year, just in time for Christmas, we're going to be coming out with a Numenera starter set, which will be uh, an inexpensive uh, way to get, like a very pared down version of the Numenera rules and an adventure and kind of everything you need so that you can sit down and play the game, you know, on Friday night with your friends and see if, if Numenera is the kind of thing that you want to want to take a shot at, right? And we're excited about that because um, the, the Torment video game that's coming out, the Tides of Numenera, uh, it, I think is gonna introduce a whole lot of people um, I, I don't even. I can't even hazard a guess how many more people it's going to introduce to the the world of Numenera, and we want to, you know, give them the opportunity to see what the the tabletop experience is like. I mean, I'm excited at the idea of of kind of converting, you know, more people to the whole tabletop experience who maybe you know have only you know seen it on tv or heard their friends talk about it or whatever right so that's very exciting um that's that's coming out toward the end of this year um but to approach your general question personally um you know invisible sun is sort of my answer to where i think game development needs to go and and i simply all i mean by that is you know for the entirety of my career i have heard over and over again people say to me uh i i want to play role playing games i i love the idea but i just can't get a group together i just you know we can't meet often enough you know people have flaky schedules whatever um and so invisible sun is my attempt to kind of address some of those concerns other developers are going to come up with other solutions but Whatever that is, I think that's the way to go. We need to make tabletop role-playing games fit the way people live their lives in 2016, 2017. Uh, And that is, you know, uh, busy schedules. That is kids, work, families, you know, all these different things that kind of come up. Um, so we've got to make our games experiences fit into those, those life experiences. And, uh, um, I'm, I'm sure that there are lots of other ways, um, that other developers will, will find, but, but I think it's something we all need to be thinking about.
0: Awesome. Well, uh, obviously I want to say thank you and appreciate your time tonight and, uh, encourage people to get to check out the Kickstarter invisible Sun. Uh, but before I let you go, what it's what does money do for fun? Like you do role playing games as a job, so when you want to relax, what is your go to thing? Um, well, you know, I, I uh,
1: even though uh, RPGs are my job, they're also my passion. I, I play a lot of games. Um, I run a lot of games. I'm almost always the game master. Uh, I also really enjoy video games. I just now started uh, a game called No Man's Sky, which this big, expansive uh, sci-fi game. I don't know what I'm doing in it yet, but it's fun.
0: <laughs> I don't um, think anyone does.
1: <laughs> I also, I mean, I'm, I'm a huge movie fan. I watch a lot of movies. Shauna and I play a lot of board games. Uh, our, current, our current passion is actually uh, Pandemic. Um, which I know has been around for a while, but, but for whatever reason, that's kind of what, what has gotten into our lives right now. Um,
0: have you played the Legacy version? I haven't.
1: Um, we've just been playing the the regular one,
0: um, but I hear
1: great things about the Legacy one. I'm, I would like to give that a try.
0: I, I have not tried it myself. My, my wife is not a, a gamer, quote-unquote gamer, but she does mm-hmm. enjoy Pandemic. That's one of the few games I'll get, I can get her to play. So I'm looking at maybe getting the... Um, legacy version is something we could do together and that kind of thing. So sorry to interrupt. What else, what else do you play? Uh,
1: You know, I'm, I'm a, I'm an avid reader. Probably doesn't, you know, sort of all those kind of uh, not surprising kind of hobbies that you would sort of expect um, a a gamer to have. Um, uh, You know, I used to paint miniatures a lot um, and build terrain um, probably won't surprise you that that was back when I was, uh, focused primarily on, on third edition D and D and, and, you <laughs> yeah,
0: know, those kind of go together.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, so I, I, used to love that. I just, just don't seem to have the time, um, and, or, or, or the place to store them. Store you know? it. Yeah. <laughs> Which is too bad. Cause I, I really enjoy it for a lot of years. That was my passion.
0: All right. Did you uh, watch Stranger Things? Are you on the Stranger Things bandwagon?
1: I am. I love Stranger Things. Uh, in fact, so Monty Cook Games, um, as, as you might know, um, you know, we don't have a centralized office. Uh, most of us are in Seattle. Some of us are in Kansas City. We all work from our homes. And so we saw that Stranger Thing. We saw that there was a Netflix show called Stranger Things coming. We didn't know anything about it, and so we just said, "You know what? This we're gonna as as kind of a team building kind of thing is you know something to kind of bring us together. We're all gonna watch that together." And so we did. And you know, and and and, you know, the fact that you know there is gaming involved in it, and you know, it was just so perfect. Um, But just kind of happened, you know, through coincidence that way. But it was a great choice. We we loved it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Can't wait
1: for more. Um, yeah, it's great.
0: Yeah, I absolutely loved. It, which I didn't know it was coming. Like it, I, I think maybe like a day or two before it came out, I happened to see a reviewer say something about it. So I was completely. Surprised within five minutes, I was in love with that show. I was around that age in that time, you know, in the eighties. I was playing D and D wrong. I didn't know what the rules were either. <laughs> uh, again, my name's Michael. So Mike being the main character, like there was just so many reasons why that was m- my childhood, minus all the crazy adventures. But I love how how role playing games, in D and D specifically, in that they're not just ancillary to the story. Like they are part of the story. They're they're playing informs their decisions and like keeping the party together, all that stuff. I just loved the way it was a part of that story. It just made me so happy. And it was, it wasn't just an
1: influence. It was a positive influence, which is, you know, that they, they took those lessons that they learned from, from playing D and D and, and it helped them with their problem. I mean, that it's, uh, you know, I can get really passionate about the importance <laughs> of role playing games and the lessons that they teach. And I man, that's why we—that's why we created No Thank You Evil, right? It, um, I think that role playing games instill a lot of really, really good things in us. And I'm so glad that we, kind of as a culture, are past the whole. You know, I mean, it went through phases, right? First D and D and whatnot was was you know a cult and satanic and whatever, and then. And then it was just geeky and weird and nerdy and only losers did it. Right. And now we are yep. kind of to that point where, no, this is, this is a cool thing for, for people to do. And you learn valuable lessons. I love that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So last question that I'll let you go. Um, they're obviously making a second season, mm-hmm. you know, that was like a no brainer. I'm, I'm on the side of saying, I really would prefer this to be like an anthology I don't know that I want to see the same characters again. Cause I feel like th- there's going to be a comparison and I'm afraid it won't compare. Well, I'd rather them to say, here's also stranger things, new story. What's your take on that?
1: You know, I like that idea too. I'm going to guess that's not what they're going to do. Um, <laughs> that's, yeah. They, they've said that's not what they're going to do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but, but that, I, I like that idea. You know, um, I know very little actually about the creators of the show, the Duffer brothers. Um, I think I've seen something else that they did. I want to say there's a show called, uh, oh, I can't even remember now, but anyway um, I, uh, but, uh, but after seeing stranger things, I sort of trust them um, that like, if, if they showed up with a bunch of new, entirely new characters, new situation, new, whatever I I'm, I'm on board. Right. I, I kind of, I, I don't. I guess what I'm saying is I don't need the story to continue for me to be really eager about whatever season two is, right? Because I I I think that they're geniuses.
0: So they're pretty much our game master, and they're saying, "Hey guys, here's <laughs> the characters we're going to play with. Trust me, you'll enjoy it." And we're just like, go, "Okay, I'm I'm in, I'm in, I'm on board."
1: And you know, if you've got a good game master, you you say that, right? You say, "Sure, whatever you. I mean, you always run a great game. Let's do it."
0: absolutely yeah all right Monty. thank you so much for your time thank you for what you do best of luck with the kickstarter and your continued success thank you so much and uh uh hopefully i'll have you on again soon we can talk about the next cool thing that you're doing sounds awesome awesome thank you and have a good night sir you too